Welcome back to the Social Impact Level Up podcast. This is where we blur the lines between business, nonprofit, and impact. I'm your host, Wendy V, and I'm a social impact strategist here to help you build a successful and sustainable legacy of social change. In this week's episode, we're going to hear from a social entrepreneur who has been on a journey to change the world just like you. If you are interested in social entrepreneurship, this is the place for you. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast. And we are here with Stephanie Scalise, who is going to tell us a little bit more about her journey as she started an organization that has brought millions of people onto their feet. Well, I don't know if it's millions. I'm going to say millions. (laughs) It will be soon. And Stephanie, I really want to have you tell your story, but I want listeners to understand that this is going to be an episode where we talk about some touchy things, possibly, and some things that might come up for folks as they may know people in their lives who have been touched by cancer, as I have. So I'm always trying to be sensitive to making sure listeners know what's coming up ahead so that they can prepare themselves. And we're going to hear not only about your journey, but how you are inspiring change and helping others. So let's jump right in and hear from you. Who are you and how do you make an impact? Thank you, Wendy, for having me, for starters. I am a seven-year cancer survivor. I am a mother of three. I, I have been married for 26 years to my wonderful husband, DJ, who puts up with having a very strong vocal wife um, and children. And my story really starts in um, June of 2015 when I was um, in the... Um, in the doctor's office, he did a biopsy and I'm like, that didn't feel the same. I have breast cancer. And he said, no, no, wait for all the tests to come back and we'll, um, have the conversation. And he called me in July and said, um, yeah, you were right. You have breast cancer. Um, so that kind of tells my personality. Like I know when something's off, I know when something has to be done. So I turned into that mama bear, let's get it done. Let's, you know, let's forge forward, get rid of the cancer and move on. And um, I will never forget my children just, they were um, 11 and thir- 11, 13 and 15 at the time. And each one reacted very differently to the news. Um, and my family rallied behind me and I had an, what I called an entourage going to every doctor's appointment with me. I went in and I interviewed the doctors. I'm like, this is the doc, you know, this is who you get. I'm like, no, I'm not going with that. You know, they told me that a doctor was in Europe. I'm like, I'm sorry, find me another doctor. Cause I'm doing this in August. You know, we're not waiting for him to get back from vacation. And so I thought I had everything under control. I thought I had everything planned and I went into surgery and it had gone into my lymph nodes. So not only was it not a simple one surgery, one and done, I had to go through months of chemotherapy and radiation and three more surgeries the next year. And had I not been so forceful, I truly believe we wouldn't have the conversation we're having today. Yeah, and it's so important to advocate for your own health and to be able to have that support. Not everyone has that benefit, but you were very fortunate, not only in the timing of getting, you know, the biopsy and knowing, hey, this is a problem, but then also being able to access medical care and all these different pieces kind of came together for you. And so after all of that, because I know that that's not a short time frame, um, what was your, your mental health or your mindset like that kind of kept you going forward and taking every step forward that you needed to take to get here today? Well, the first part of it was I was in that mama bear, let's get it done mode. And I understood what was going on. So I was absolutely okay with, okay, now I got to go into the surgery. I know what the recovery is going to look like because my mother had just finished the same exact breast cancer diagnosis and surgery. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. I'll be out for, you know, a month, maybe a month and a half. And then the shoe dropped and it was um, chemotherapy and radiation and totally unknown. I hadn't researched it because I didn't know I was going to need it. And so um, obviously there were a lot of tears, but I never let my children see it. 
Um, I just stayed strong for them. And the last controlling piece I had with chemotherapy is I had a hairdresser come to the house and um, we had some connections and I was able to get a wig made out of my own hair. So one of my daughters shaved one side of her head, the other daughter shaved the other side and one shaved underneath behind her ponytail. And all of that was woven into my wig. And it was the most healing, special family bond for my children and I, and my husband sat back and watched, but I still have the wig. I never put it on my head because by the time it was made, it looked identical to what I looked like before I shaved my head. And I'm like, I'm not that person anymore. I can't wear it, but I still have it sitting in my closet to remind me of where I came from and how much love and support I had. And, um, you know, I, looking back, I did not realize the impact, the way I handled everything, how that affected my children in a positive light. Because I have very, three very strong women at this point. They're, they're now 19, 21, and 23. And, um, and like you said, I forged forward. And the positive that came out of this is my children wanted to give back. And my children started a nonprofit to give back. Um, and I'll back up a little bit and tell you where that came from. Um, my middle daughter was in eighth grade at the time. And she um, had to write a personal narrative. And she chose to write about being in the car with me when the doctor called to give me those, you've got cancer words, you know, solidifying what I already knew, but still hearing it is no fun. Um, and she did not realize that she was going to have to share it with her classmates, this very personal, introspective writing. And... Um, she spoke to her teacher and her teacher's like, no, you don't have to share if you're not comfortable. I know what your family's going through, all of that. Well, there was a substitute on the day she, she was called on to share. And so she shared because they said, you have to. That's what it says. Um, and the number of friends that came, in, came at her and said, oh, my goodness, my mom went through this. My grandmother went through this. My, you know, my big sister's going through this. And Lauren realized she had an impact. She had a way to help others. And so she came home that night and shared all that information with us. And that is how Strides for Survivors first started. She's like, we, we've got to do something. Let's do a walk. And so February of 2017 came around. We thought we'd have, you know, 50 people show up, the people from Turning Point Breast Cancer Rehabilitation, where I did all my rehab. And that is the place that my kids deem as responsible for giving them their mom back. They say that, you know, it wasn't just physical therapy. It was a little bit of counseling. It was being in a group of women who understood everything and accepted all those random little questions and, and statements and, um, and the classes and everything else I did. My kids saw how different I became every time I went and how, how much more of myself was coming back through. Um, and so that walk ended up having 150 people and it was multiple communities. It was the high school community. It was my tutoring, um, practice. My, all my students came out and did the walk. It was my children's sports teams came out. Um, and it was just people who heard our story and wanted to be there. And now flash forward, we are gearing up for our eighth annual walk in, um, January and we've already raised $75,000 for our turning point to be able to give scholarships and money to people who can't afford um, the services, which was where I was at. It was my insurance would pay for me to go to Northside Hospital, but I didn't want to go back to the clinical setting. So I chose to pay out of pocket to go to turning point. And at one point I looked at them like, I'm not working. I can't, you know, af afford to pay 100%. They're like, you tell us what you can pay. And that's what you're going to pay. And when circumstances get better, you can pay a little bit more or not. You just let us know and we'll roll with it. And it was very important for my kids to give other people that opportunity. I love it. And you started with just 150 people that you thought we were only going to be 50. But, you know, having four of them now, it's amazing that you're raising money and you're giving back to the, the cause that helped you. And like I said in the beginning, I think this is such a cool cause 
that I haven't heard anybody, I know people do like research walks and other things around breast cancer, but really helping people to access services that are needed. This is a cause I do think millions of people need to get behind because it's so, um, I'm sure every community has this need, right? Like not just where you are with this one organization that's helping, but I'm sure that this is a story that, you know, could be brought all over the world because I know even for me, my grandmother is a breast cancer. Um, well, she was a survivor and now she's since passed. But one um, some of my close friends recently, um, as like in the last two or three years, have become survivors and are now, you know, on that in that middle phase, like you were saying, just getting past the treatment and all of the supports that they've had in the family and the connection and all of those things have been really important. And I, I love how you explain your journey in the terms of um, it's not just you who is going through it, but it's also the people who are around you and the, the, your kids who have their own experience of your life experience. And can you talk about um, a little bit, you kind of touched on it, that you have three daughters and I'm sure they all process this slightly different. Can you talk a little bit about each of your daughters and how you kind of brought them all in to support this, this thing that you guys are doing? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like I said a moment ago, this is their baby. Strides for Survivors came from them, but they were all underage at the time. So I was the face and the name on Strides for Survivors. Um, but my oldest, Samantha, at the time was 15 years old. She became my driver. She became the one that made sure her sisters got to sports practices and had lunches made and had breakfast. Um, my, my dad jumped in and started driving carpool every day for me because I wasn't able. Um, and my neighbors, you know, had a meal train. I think I had a meal train for 16 months straight, like three meals a day, four meals a day, every week. At one point, my kids looked at me like, Mom, can you cook again? We just, we like your cooking. Everybody eats so differently. We appreciate it. But we just want this, uh, our favorite dish. We want, you know, something from Mom. Um, but Samantha just really took charge and became, you know, kind of the head of the household, making sure my husband knew where and what and when because he had never seen the day-to-day -day getting off to school because that was my role. And, you know, I made sure I was available to my kids during the day. And then I worked in the evenings when he was home because the nature of tutoring, you tutor when kids are not in school. Um, so that was kind of how our family makeup was. Um, like I said, my middle daughter, Lauren, was the one that came up with the idea and wrote the story and really um, I didn't know until much later. And I'm still hearing stories. like. They're slowly sharing more and more of what happened. But I found out later she slept at the foot of my bed for days. She would sneak in and lay by the bed just to make sure I was okay and that I was able to get up and go to the bathroom if I needed to or whatever. Um, and then would sneak back so that my husband could wake her up in the morning. Um, my youngest, who was just 11, Emily, had a very difficult time. She could not wrap her brain around it. And she avoided it. Anytime we talked about anything, anytime I showed emotion or pain, she would um, kind of hide out in her art room. And it really didn't make sense to her until she sat down with some of our friends who were survivors and talked to their daughters. And that peer-to-peer -peer conversation really made things more palatable for her to understand. And she always talked about, because she's a fantastic artist, and she always talked about wanting to write a children's book. And so her senior year of high school, she did it. She wrote a book called My Mommy Is, My Mommy's Got Cancer, But She's Still My Mommy. And she illustrated, her, illustrated herself as well. She found a publisher. She, um you know, asked for the upfront money from um, my husband and I and my father to, you know, pay for the initial publishing costs. That was her Hanukkah present last year, you know, that year. And since then, she, so, she has sold hundreds of copies of this book um, through Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Like what 19 year old in art school can say, hey, I have a published children's book, you know, um, but it's like a very endearing illustration of how she processed what was going on. Like, okay, so I couldn't take her on walks, so she would take me on a walk. Or I couldn't push her on the swing, so she would push me. I couldn't necessarily go upstairs and tuck her in every night. She would tuck me in. 
Um, and it just illustrates that. And so what she has chosen to do is we purchased 100 books up front. And anybody we know in the neighborhood or through peer interactions or just through Turning Point, she signs the book, gives it to them and says, I hope this will help you and your children kind of get through the hard times. Um, and so that is the overall of my children. And then Strides for Survivors, we do a lot during the summer when they're home. I usually get about maybe three weeks a year when all three of them are home together. Um, and we take that time and we kind of plan out the next year. Lauren is in charge of um, all of our logos that change every year um, for our T-shirts. And they all are involved in getting our sponsorship. And Emily takes charge of the social media and creating beautiful art projects for our um, silent auction and raffle. And um, Sam is really, you know, the powerhouse, making sure everything is on track and going the way it's supposed to do. And now that she's graduated college and back in Atlanta, she really has a larger role in getting it ready because she used to fly in the day before, or drive in the day before and drive out the day after and didn't see the, you know, on the ground parts of where we are. We're 300 plus people coming. We do race bags. We do T-shirts. So it's really a labor of love is what I like to call it because it's all hands on deck, how much can we get done in a short period of time? Yeah, and there's gosh, so many rich directions we could go with this conversation, but I want to stick on with the girls because I think that it's important for parents to understand if um, you're a parent who's in your, sort of your situation where you're like, okay, I have something I'm passionate about and I see something in my kids that they're also passionate about. So you decided to almost like go into business with your children, which I think is such a beautiful concept because people don't sort of think of nonprofits as a business, but it, it essentially are, like you were saying, very legit business parts that you've now instilled in your girls. It's possible to create their own organization that can make an impact they're passionate about, that brings in their talents and artistic abilities and all of these amazing things. And like, what a beautiful journey. And I think as you reflect on that, and see where you are now, like, what are your thoughts about um, what that was like for you or how transformative that's for you and your, and your kids or anything that you can reflect on about um, as a parent what the experience is like? Well, the first part is how proud I am. Like, every year I stand up on a raised platform and I address everybody who's there to support us at these walks. And I'm like, you know, without the love and support of my children, we wouldn't be here today. Um, and, you know, I see it in how they go about their day-to-day -day activities. They are all three very empathetic, very caring, very giving. They see a need and they find a way to, to work towards it. Um, the funniest is I remember when my middle daughter, who's now a senior at Walford College, would, when we were looking at colleges, she was telling her story to some people and she's you know, saying, well, I have a non, you know, I'm on the, I started a nonprofit and we do this and we do that. She didn't realize that wasn't normal. She didn't realize that other teenagers were doing that. Um, you know, we'll be, we'll be out somewhere and they're like, oh, we've got to go home because we're, we're guests on a podcast or we're guests on a news um, article or we're being interviewed today from the, the local newspaper. And it took so long for my kids to realize that wasn't the average, you know, teenage kids experience. Um, but they definitely take it everywhere they go. My oldest worked for um, the lady, lady um, volunteers at Tennessee, the women's basketball team for all four years as their manager. So she would, she took that caregiving protection, making things happen role and, did it through college. My middle daughter's doing the same exact thing at Wofford. And my youngest, um, who is down at Columbus State playing softball, is like the team mom. Like, she's the one that is making sure everybody has what they need. Oh, you need some, you know, a Band-Aid. Oh, let me go get it out of my bag. You need this. Oh, I have that. Like, I've set them up in such a way that they have everything they need or they know how to get it. And like I said before, they didn't understand that that wasn't the typical reaction until they got to college outside of our home. And they're like, mom, people don't, 
carry their own Advil or the, you know, people, people aren't prepared for, you know, whatever's going to happen. Yeah. You need a snack. I've got it in my bag. You know, it, so I think that's really what having this nonprofit and starting Strides for Survivors has done for them. It has prepared them for anything, knowing that they can, if, like you said, if they want to start another business, they already have the know-how. Um, my oldest is actually working in nonprofits right now or for her first jobs and things came up and she's like, oh, you have to do X, Y, and Z. This is how we get our permitting for our walks. And this is how we turned in the paperwork and do our taxes every year for the nonprofit. They wouldn't know that any other way. It's, it's on the job training, basically. It's life experience setting them up for success. That is so cool to have that kind of experience so young. I think that's so valuable and so rich. Almost like way better than an internship or a job that you get in college, you know, to have that from a young age, the background of how an organization works, what are the even the legal understanding of how things need to be reported. I mean, wow. I think some people probably in the social services sector would be like, Yeah, if I knew that as a teenager and then went into my job. It would have been so much more effective at my job. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so that's great. And um, and so kudos to them. And again, um, I think that it's so fantastic that you guys run this organization as a family and spend that time together in the summers that you mentioned in the planning phase. Strategic planning as an organization is like, it can be awful, but it can also be really beneficial and really good and fun. And you can make it... Um, really what you need out of it. And I love how you described like a very simple strategic planning process of just having the time at a certain time of year that you know you're available to do it and you have the space to bring all of the important stakeholders together and to decide who is going to take what pivotal roles and then expect that they're going to be able to fill them and do them with the best of their abilities. And I think sometimes people forget that that's just what strategic planning is because we make it so much harder. (laughs) And I just wanted to like call into that you just described in that soundbite, such a very succinct process. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the organization itself and starting a nonprofit? Did you ever see yourself as a founder of a nonprofit or what was that journey like? Because I think I find a lot of people who tell me, I want to start a nonprofit, but they don't know what to do or I don't know how to do it. And they're really intimidated by taking the steps of just formalizing the organization. So what was that like for you? Um, Well, it Starting a business wasn't as daunting because I have a private practice for tutoring. And so the first time I ever did it and stepped away from the school districts and the constant paycheck and the benefits and everything else that came with a steady job, I knew, you know, I was going to see kids every day. And then I went out on my own and um, I didn't know if I was going to have enough kids. And, and one of my really good friends says, get it while it's hot, you know yeah, I might complain that I'm working too hard. Like when we started talking before that I'm so busy because of the pandemic and the after effect on children's learning that I'm, I don't even know which ends up. I'm working so much, but at the same effect, being in, in, you know, a business owner on my own, I have to take it when I can get it because tomorrow it might not be there, you know? And so it was kind of the same thing with our nonprofit Lauren had this idea. We're like, okay, let's do this. I reached out to a friend that I knew did t-shirts. I reached out to a couple local businesses that had seen my entire journey. And they're like, of course we will sponsor. And I think we asked for sponsorship at like $150 or $200, just enough to cover our upfront costs. And so we printed, I think we only printed 150 t-shirts the first year because we're like, oh, you know, we'll have extra. I know there'll be extra, but just in case we want to make sure we have it covered. So the first year we weren't a nonprofit. We were just kind of feeling the waters, dipping our toes in. Um, I had reached out to other organizations that do walks around Chastain's path, the um, 2.7 mile walk that's right in front of the school where my daughters um, graduated, which was Galloway. And I found out I had to go to the city and I had to fill up paperwork And so it was just really asking other people who had a nonprofit what I had to do. Um, And so the paperwork was, you know, rough the first time I had a, you know, it got given back to me many times. Oh, you forgot this phone number or you forgot this. 
And within the process, I didn't realize, like, I had to ask all of the neighboring um, businesses if it was okay to have the walk. Could we use their restrooms? So we had spaced out restrooms throughout. Um, I had to secure police officers because we were blocking traffic to start the walk and finish the walk. Um, and Galloway was kind enough and the resource officers that we've known because my kids grew up with them were like, oh, yeah, we'll be the officers on duty for you. And, you know, I had to have a nurse. So I went to the athletic trainers and the school nurse. I'm like, can you guys be there for me? And it's just asking your community and you'll be the you'll be amazed that. Everybody wants to help. You just have to ask. And the worst thing that can happen is they say, no, sorry, I'm not available. And then you can move on to the next person or the next place. And that piece of it and just seeing the communities want to help. So if you have a great idea for a nonprofit, I say go for it. You don't have to go through the legalization of starting a true nonprofit until after you try it the first time. You know, we did not become a, um, what is it, 503C? 501C3, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have those letters in the middle. I mean, that with the C's and it's like, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to do that right away. And then when I was trying to do the paperwork to do that two years into the walk, um, you know, I reached out to um, Turning Point and I'm like, is there anybody on the board that knows how to do this that can help me? And they're like, yes, you know, I'll give you 30 minutes of my lunch hour to help you navigate the paperwork. Because that's the scariest thing is you don't want to do something incorrectly. Um, and we did find out years later, I would say probably two years ago, there's another Strides for Survivors in Atlanta. And it's not breast cancer. It's domestic abuse, I believe. I don't remember exactly what it is. And I'm like, ooh, you know, if somebody puts that in there, they're going to have a totally different idea of what Strides for Survivors is. So, you know, we like to use our platform to let people know who we are and what we are and how you can get involved and we give back that's the other piece of it if if somebody asks us to sponsor or do something i'll give you know two registrations to the walk to um another friend's alzheimer's walk or um different organizations that ask i'm like absolutely i'll help you you know, you need to sit down with us and, and talk about how to do it. Yeah, my kids are on call. If you're going through breast cancer and you really don't know how to talk to your children, give my daughter a call. Either anyone that's available, they'll talk to you about what they went through and how different their experience was from their sisters and from their peers. So it's, it, it's just asking is the best way to sum up how do you start a nonprofit. Just follow your passion and do it, but know it's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's um, it's rewarding, I think, is, is the, the point. It's like the process is sort of a means to an end because you're really focused on the impact that you want to make as an organization and to get the donations, to be able to do the tax write-off stuff and all the formal things. You, you have to go through the paperwork and the processes, like you mentioned, to be able to have the walk and do your programs. You have to go through the process that your community dictates to use the space. You know, there's a lot of little pieces in there. But I, I love how you mentioned um, something that we talk about a lot in this podcast. How do we bring together businesses and nonprofits to be part of a community, to support the fabric of the community or the people in need in a community? Like, how do we just start breaking down those barriers? And you mentioned just going and asking for the things that you need to support what you're doing and very tangible asks that you can go to a business for. It's not always money sponsorships, but space and access to their restrooms in their space, their training spaces. There's so many ways to engage businesses. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that as a local business owner and also, um, you know, community member parent who's active, obviously it was in the schools and a different role, but you know the systems and how a community works. Can you describe what your, your vision is or what you give tips or thoughts on um, how to really bring those concepts together of community, business, and impact in nonprofits and try to help us just elevate and solve the problem? Yeah, it's, it's time consuming. I won't, I, I won't sugarcoat it. Um, you know, you, you start out with the people you know, and then you jump to the people they know or 
your friends know, oh, this person has this business, this person has this business. I'll give um, Kendra Scott as a prime example, the jewelry company. Um, one of my husband's best friends works for this company. And he's like, you know, we do a lot of philanthropy for especially women's causes. Why don't you reach out to X, Y, and Z? And we did, um, and we went and thought we would have a very simple, you know, fundraiser. They're like, yeah, we'll we'll give you whatever date it is. Um, you know, come into the store, have your business cards, kind of talk about it. And we'll give you 15% of the sales during these hours. You know, and it brings more people in who might not have come because they're supporters of, of Strides for Survivors. And then we also reach out and get other community members who walk in and like, oh, Strides for Survivors, that's fantastic. I'm a breast cancer survivor, my grandmother, my mother. Um, and as you said, there's so much out there for research. And there's so much that goes to the national level. Having a nonprofit that stays in Atlanta and helps women and men in Atlanta get through their after-surgery journey is such a, a small niche of the population and what the money is raised for. So people are more willing to support and be so generous because not everybody has access. And you were you mentioned earlier, you know, I, how lucky I am to have the support and the availability of medical services and all these things. Before COVID, Turning Point was only in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And now they've gone into telemedicine. So people outside of Georgia can receive the services. Yeah, it's not them not physically manipulating, but they can talk you through how to do things. And they're, you know, right there with you in the room on Zoom. And it has reached such a huge number of people that now, you know, Others who said, well, it's not my community. I, why, you know, why do I support something in Atlanta when I live in New York? Well, now you can have the resources in New York. Um, and, you know, I go back to Turning Point often. Turning Point is such a unique, phenomenal facility in what they give to their patients. Um, just a, a piece that... I can state I had shoulder surgery in 1996 and I still did not have full mobility. And when I went to Turning Point, I now have full mobility. They were able to not only work on my lymphedema and, you know, the loss of full mobility from the sur multiple surgeries and radiation, they were able to work out all the scar tissue from, you know, 25 years ago. and. So it's just a um, fantastic community builder to go to things that other people have going on. Yeah, I, I like that it's about the connections that you make in your community. And like you said, starting with the people that you immediately know and then going to those folks around them and who might also be interested in this topic. And they, I know you mentioned a couple of different businesses. There's a lot of different businesses that you could partner with in your community that'll offer a percentage. You often hear of like a pizza place or, you know, a food place, a restaurant that offers a percentage of proceeds on a specific day that goes to a nonprofit organization they're partnering with. And it's a really good example of ways that businesses can develop their social impact mission by identifying aligned um, causes they're passionate about, and then partnering with those organizations to set up these types of programs. And it's so beneficial, like you mentioned, because it brings in new customers who are aligned with the value set of both organizations and could potentially be, you know, lifelong customers and lifelong donors or supporters for the nonprofit organization. So in a lot of ways, it could be a win-win to establish these types of partnerships. But like you said, you have to have the ask available or have be comfortable making the ask. And I think that that comfort level is pretty low in a lot of people. <laughs> so yeah, can you talk a little bit about like, what is your approach to making that actual ask? Because well, I think that would help some folks. <laughs> at the very beginning, I made my children do it. I would drive them to a local business. Um, one year we went to a toy store 
and I had my kids go in and they, you know, we did have flyers ready and they would go in and be like, okay, we are doing this in the community in a month. Um, we would, you know, would you be willing to either do an in-kind donation or a financial donation where we can promote your business, put your business cards in our race walk bags so that everybody understands that you are supporting us. Your logo goes on our t-shirts and um, all of those pieces. And they had to learn to say, well, I really appreciate your time. It's, so, you know, I understand you're not in a position to help us this year. Maybe we can come back next year and ask again, and you might be available and have not used all of your donation money. We've learned when in the year is the best time to ask because the fiscal year for a lot of these companies is um, July 1st to June 1st. So you want to ask in the summertime versus waiting till December because by December, they've usually donated everything. So they get the tax write off for that year. These are all things that I had no idea until we started asking and people took the time to explain to us. Um, and then if they if they weren't able to get a donation from somebody, they would be like, well, would you mind hanging our flyer in your window for your customers to see so that they could join us? And 99% of the time, the answer was yes. Um, and then we have our, you know, our tried and true people who have been on our um, t-shirts and our sponsors since day one. And you don't think about it I went to a friend who owns a UPS store. The copies that you make, the banners that you have to print, having that help and knowing you can go to the same person year after year to do it. And, you know, some years they've been able to do it for absolutely free. And other years they're like, hmm, how about if I charge you 50%? You know, and so there's a lot of give and take, you know, every year is not the same. Every year, you know, um, one of my neighbors is the prime example. He's like, don't get used to this large donation, but I did really well this year and I want to get back to you and your girls. But next year, it might not be that much. You just have to know what the, you know, what's happening in the economy. And so with that ask, you have to be willing to take less than you're asking for. You have to be willing to be gracious and walk away with nothing and thank them for their time and their interest and just Look at it as if you've gotten one more peop one more person or one more business aware of what you're doing. And as long as you go into it that way and don't walk away disappointed that, oh, I didn't get what I asked for, um, people will give when they can. And if they know you're there, they'll turn around and give back even after the fact. Yeah, I think it's, it's always the... Um finding the time to be in those conversations, to have those one-on-one -on -one meetings or to do the door knocking or whatever it is that's going to get you into those conversations. Um, your local chamber of commerce is a good place to go for those kinds of business connections and looking at, you know, what can, um, what can you do as a nonprofit to get in front of business owners and network, network with business owners. And I, I feel like there's a lot of more connections we could be deliberate about to um, really help support, like you were saying, those asks to be easier <laughs> because we, they don't need to be so awkward. And I, I love the idea of using your kids if you've got them as, as a, a great spokesperson like yours are well-trained. I don't know that everybody has such well-trained kids. Um, and it, it's it's a great uh, kind of story that you brought to us today. So I know we're getting ready to wrap up and I wanted to ask you just a couple more questions. Um, one, how do you now kind of like maintain your well-being or your ability to continue to show up and serve folks as a survivor, as a mom, as a tutor and all the things, business owner, all the things that you have going on. How do you continue to fill your cup so that you can um, be the wonderful person that you are for everyone else? Um, the biggest thing is I learned to prioritize when I was going through breast cancer and all my treatment. I realized it was okay to say no. When I had to start notifying people that I was going to be out for pretty much a year, I realized I was on nine boards and I looked at it. I'm like, why am I on this board? You know, it made sense five years ago when my kids were in the heart of it, but I can step down and it's okay. And somebody else will be there to take the place and I can recruit somebody to take my place. Um, I'm happy to say I'm on one board now. Um, I've stepped away and I, I prioritize and I give time for me and COVID kind of, helped that situation a little bit. It's, it, you know, I look at the positives and the negatives of COVID because that's, that's our life now, you know, there's you know, pre-COVID and the way things were and there's post-COVID. Um, 
having the ability to be on Zoom or use um, social media platforms and not be face-to-face all the time has been incredibly helpful. Um, the, I, my daughters and I have a severe latex allergy, which means no balloons, no restaurants that use latex gloves. So we were very um, stuck at home, I guess you could say, and started to reach out. And my personal trainer never really thought about doing Zoom. And I couldn't go into her gym because she has latex floors. So I asked my husband and made sure it was, you know, okay with him. I do personal training three days a week on Zoom. And that has been my therapy. That has been my mind chain mindset. That is me giving myself an hour to two hours a day for me. And before I wouldn't do it, I would always be running around doing for others. And I realized that was kind of the realization that came from, you know, surviving breast cancer and then becoming a thriver afterwards. I had to take care of me if I wanted to take care of others. And that it's okay, it's not selfish. You know, as a mom of three, you want to be there and do everything for your kids and, you know, all your efforts go to them. But if you're exhausted and not in shape and and having difficulty throughout the day, that's not helping them. And because there is a financial piece in it, you know, you I had to talk to my husband and be like, are you really okay with me spending this kind of money and doing it religiously for the last three and a half years? He's like, yeah, and your personal training is cheaper than therapy. And you have the same outcome. So go go on anytime you want to work out, go for it. That's your thing. You you take care of you. Because again, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't do all the other things you want to do. And so that is how I am on the other side. It's okay to say no. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to purge the toxicity in your life, whether it's people or actions or things that, you know, you got into the rut of doing and just be there for you. Then you can be there for everybody else. Oh, that's such a beautiful message. And uh, I I am a workout person too, but I've gotten away from doing the long workouts and I and several times a week. So I think I'm at 30 minutes or about 45 minutes a day. And I do it almost religiously every single day now. And so it's kind of like in different seasons of my life, it's always been one of my refuges, but I just have to figure out how it fits into my schedule so that it still has its place. And I think like you were saying, just the the routine of it over years, eventually you like, I, I need it. <laughs> Look, I crave that time. <laughs> yeah, miss it. Like my trainer laughs at me. I've in three and a half years, I've missed one of our three times a day weekly session. Wow. I mean, I'm like Friday to Tuesday, but I'm doing it religiously and I don't feel good if I don't. And to get the time, I I'm one of those old school, I have a paper calendar. <laughs> I write in my training sessions in my calendar before I schedule anything else. And I don't give it up lightly. Um, I yeah. know next week I'm about to give up my Friday session. I, you know, three weeks ago I reached out and I'm like, can we schedule a different day? Because as you asked about giving back to, to different things, my daughter was working with veterans and youth with um, ambulatory um, handicaps that um, think Paralympics idea. And she met a man who on September 22nd, 2022, walked 22 miles to represent the 22 veterans that take their life every day. And so on September 22nd, which is next Friday, my daughter and I are walking 22 miles. We haven't, you know, asked for any sponsorships. We haven't asked for any money for anything just to raise awareness. Um, and those are the, you asked about giving back. And those are some of the things that when it makes sense, we jump right in and we, and do it. We just need the ask. If somebody asks, we're going to support them as much as they support us. That's really cool to see how many different causes you can also align with because you're, you have this principle of supporting other organizations and, and what they're doing and you see the value in how other people are raising awareness and addressing issues. And yeah, it's just such a, a great model for other, I think other organizations to know that that is, a, is beneficial to you too, to have that kind of connection with other organizations. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So I, the last couple of questions, when I was thinking about um, where you come from and your story, you said, you know, I had 150 people come to this first walk that I did. What do you see as the future for your organization for Strides for Survivors? And what are you hoping for it to grow into? Are we, are we talking news a box of millions of people in Atlanta? <laughs> like, what, where are we going as an organization? <laughs> it's funny you ask, because we've been talking, the girls and I have been talking about it a lot because this is our eighth year. Um, and they're like, are we going to keep this up when we get into our professional life and we live in different, you know, different states and we start families and all of these pieces? And I'm like, let's get to 10 years, hit the 10, 10 year mark. We want to hit the $100,000 mark as well. And then maybe we'll talk about doing every five years or, um, but we want to keep a presence in the community. We're hoping to become a resource and we have slowly evolved of people who can reach out and be like, Hey, like, like I was saying, Hey, you know, I just got the diagnosis. How do I talk to my kids? Um, at the beginning we had very ambitious ideas of like, um, doing gift baskets for people going through chemotherapy or radiation. And that just wasn't sustainable for us being that small nonprofit without extra money to, you know, buy everything and then sell things. So we do a lot of the the speaking and the making sure people are aware that there is something after that diagnosis. You know, once you're done with the surgeries and you have no more cancer, there is kind of a drop off of support. You know, where do where do you go after that? So that is the awareness we're trying to bring. And if we can do that and continue to do that, I can't put a, a, a year on it or a money amount. My kids want something. So that's what I told them was 10 years and we'll rethink it and $100,000 and we'll rethink it. But this is part of our lives and I don't see it going away anytime soon. Yeah. And sustainability, like you said, it, it can look different as the natural life cycle of whatever it is that you're building progresses. It doesn't have to be like a destination that you arrive at. I call it like sustainability is kind of a vibe that you're on where you're just going through the decision-making processes. And like you said, the strategic planning processes with the lens of what does this look like tomorrow? What does it need to morph into? Or when does it need to sunset maybe part of what we're doing? And try a different strategy because like you said, the, the baskets didn't work, but maybe there's another version of being able to support people through that same time frame, And that might be something that could live on. And I think that um, when you talk about small nonprofits, it's such a, a risky piece because there are so many nonprofits that don't make it out of that stage or they end um, before they really get any bigger than being a small nonprofit. So it is a, a realistic question to have as an organization to say, you know, is, is what is this going to look like for me? Um, so I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you guys have gone through that conversation. And if you could go back and give yourself as a survivor, like one piece of advice or something that you want to say to anyone else who might be going through their journey still and is hearing this episode and hearing you talk, just say something that you would like to say to anyone who's in that space. Um, the biggest thing I learned and, and I live by is be true to yourself. If something doesn't feel right, speak up. If you don't like the direction your doctor's taking you, it's okay to get a second opinion. And if your doctor's not comfortable with that second opinion, then you, you're at the wrong doctor in the first place. Um, but if you trust who you are and what you feel and know and believe in, you're going to get to the other side and you're going to thrive. Uh, that's so great. And I, yeah, I absolutely believe that. And that's yeah. so refreshing to hear you say that because people do need to be empowered in their journeys as, as their health journey in any other part, right? And so that's such a, um, a good reminder for all of us that, hey, you, you have agency and you have choices and you have options to, um, to speak up for yourself and, and advocate. So I want to give you just a couple of minutes to tell us, or just a, a quick second to tell us a little bit about where to connect with you. I know you, strivesforsurvivors.org is the website, but you said, mentioned Instagram and a couple other places when you were talking. So just let folks know where is the best place to connect with you if they're interested, especially if they're in the Atlanta area. Um, yes, we have 
a presence on Facebook. Um, we have a presence on in Instagram, Strides for Survivor for both. Um, it's kind of funny that I have three 20-something-year-old daughters and none of them are like huge on so social media. So we have a low-level presence, but you will see us doing fundraisers throughout the year. Um, and one of the best ways to support and help others going through it is looking at my daughter's book, My Mommy Has Cancer, But She's Still My Mommy, um, by Emily Scalise. It's on um, both um, Amazon and uh, Barnes and & Noble. And the other piece is to support Turning Point. You know, that is where all of our efforts are going to in the first place. And it's tur Turning Point Breast Cancer Rehabilitation. And they're myturningpoint.org, I believe, is their website. Um, but you can, if you have an interest, you can find us by using our last name, Scalise. It comes up, you know, if you put it into Google, you can find something that's going on with the Scalise sisters and um, Strides for Survivors. That's great branding on a last name. I love it. <laughs> well, this has been a wonderful episode with Stephanie Scalise, and we've been talking about all things nonprofit and working with your family and also, you know, looking at the journey of a breast cancer survivor. Like I said, I, I definitely have people in my sphere who've been touched by this. So it's really important to me. And I think it's important to a lot of us that we do support survivors. So thank you so much for um, for you and everything that you've been doing and for being here and um, just have a wonderful journey into the next walk, whatever that brings you. Um, and I really, really just want to thank you for, for your um, wonderful words today and for sharing. Well, thank you for having me and giving me the platform to talk about what's next after breast cancer. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone, this has been another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast. And I hope that you'll listen to another episode next week and maybe go back and listen to some that you might've missed. Take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast. It's been awesome to interview today's guests and I hope that you leave inspired to take action. If you're looking for any of the information we spoke about, it's probably down in the show notes. Make sure that you're checking them out and you're clicking on any of the links that seem exciting to you. If you are looking for a coach or a consultant to help you with your social impact or your sustainability, reach out to me via my website, hop on my email list, or jump into one of my programs. All of the links are below. So excited to have you as part of the collective. Make sure that you come back and join us for another episode next week.